Camtasia and Screencasting Secrets, an interview with Lon Naylor, episode 12. This is Fred Castaneda of Skills and Screencasts and Podcasts.com, and you're listening to the Screencast Academy with Dean Haycox. And now, your host, Dean Haycox. That's right. This is the podcast where we give you the screencasting tips, resources, app reviews, workflow. We even talk screen recording software. We have expert interviews. We also have interview fellow screencasters like you in Screencaster of the Week, all to help you, the small business entrepreneur and fellow screencaster. Coming up in this week's episode, an interview with Mr. Lon Naylor from LearnCamtasia.com and he gives us his 10 year plus experience in screencasting. And now I want to get into the interview with Lon Naylor because Lon is a 35 year veteran of Microsoft and like I said at the top of the show, he's been screencasting for well over 10 years now and in the interview he's going to share some of his Camtasia and screencasting secrets so lon take it away how are you doing lon i'm doing fantastic how are you doing i'm doing thanks hey thanks for coming on and sharing some of your awesome tips and resources with the sap listeners my pleasure anytime we're talking about screencasting i'm good to go before we get into the interview can you tell us a little bit about yourself what you've done in the past what what you're doing now and how you're applying screencasting in your business sure i've been in the computer industry for, gosh, like 35 years. I uh, was a computer engineer in the corporate world, and I spent the last 10 years of my professional career for working for corporations as a senior engineer with Microsoft during the decade of the 90s, and it was a pretty good time to be there. I, I got to retire at the age of 41 in 1999, which was kind of nice. Two words there, stock options. Mm-hmm. Thanks, thanks, Uncle Bill. And um, since then, I engineer at heart, so I kind of stay connected with the things that interest me. And while I was at Microsoft, I kind of got into screencasting as a way to do training on Microsoft products, uh, capturing the screen and recording it as video so I wouldn't have to train people over and over and over again on the same kinds of demos and things like that. So as soon as that technology came out, I kind of jumped on it. And since then, I've kind of waited for the Internet to catch up with online video, being, it, being able to deliver it and things like that in an efficient fashion. And I think we live in a quite unique point in time today where videos becoming so ubiquitous and uh, screencasting certainly pumps into that little plan so yeah it's a it's a pretty cool deal so when you worked at microsoft so you know people would come to you and ask how do i do this how do you do that and and you would be forever helping each everyone else and you'd be telling the same person over and over again the same thing so is that why you started getting into screencasting and making like you said making those tutorials so you could give it to everybody? Yeah, that was one of the basics, uh, absolutely. And as soon as that technology came out, it was originally, the first time I was exposed to it was a program from Lotus, who was a big software company at the time, uh, called, gosh, I I forget what it was called, um, 
some screen something. But anyway, I picked that up and started to record things that I did for Microsoft as a senior engineer out in the in, in the field. Essentially, my technical. Uh, description. My job description was to remove technical barriers to the sale of Microsoft products. So I did a lot of corporate briefings for big companies. I helped the resellers like the computer lands of the world uh, get their engineers up to speed and things like that. So to record a presentation and then edit it so there wasn't a lot of fumbling and stumbling going on, uh, you know, that was just a, a really handy thing. And I think it really kind of set the stage for, um, you know, being able to distribute that information in mass. One of the first questions that I ask all my guests that are into screencasting is how you go about creating a tutorial video. Can you tell us your workflow when it comes from the right from the beginning to when you export? Can you give us a little bit of a sneak peek how you do that? Well, there, I, my workflow actually varies depending upon what kind of video I'm creating. I use screencast videos a lot or presentation-style videos, like those captured with using PowerPoint as an example. Um, I, if I'm making a sales or a squeeze page video, I will basically script everything out so that my message, my sales message is very, I call it right and tight. And I pre-record my audio, and then I put all the visuals together according to that audio. Uh, a tutorial video is a little bit different. I kind of very much decide what it is I'm going to show and how it makes sense to provide a learning experience for the end user. So, again, depending upon the audience, are they beginners, are they more advanced, you know, these are just kinds of things that, that you brainstorm and think about and then kind of put yourself in the user's shoes and proceed from there, uh, you know, taking into account what they might need, you know, prerequisites. What do you need to know in order to be able to do this? So there's, there's a lot of thought and planning. Uh, and I, I basically make this statement is that by the time I do a lot of planning, uh, again, depending upon how important the video is, uh, something that I'm going to distribute as a tutorial, I want it to be, you know, pretty good. And so I'll plan it out quite a bit. And by the time I'm finished planning, I'm about 60% done with the video, I'd say, as far as workflow goes. So I put a lot of upfront effort when the video matters to make sure that the end result is what I want. And as a result of that, planning uh, then becomes recording the a- and editing and producing the actual video is simply a matter of executing the plan. So that's kind of um, you know the basic gist or the biggest tip probably I would be able to give folks. So when you're planning any of your videos, whether it be style vi- presentation style videos, sales videos, or tutorial videos. What would you know? Your your number one recommendation would be to plan. Would you would you plan all those videos to like you say for what type of video you need, and then what is the outcome? Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, that's really the important thing: is how does the video serve the viewer? Uh, and I think a lot of folks sometimes don't take the time to try to understand that and. You know, they end up with a video that's not quite as effective as it 
could or should be. And, you know, my, the, my goal is to make sure that whoever views the video gets what they wanted to get out of it. So that, again, basically you can think of as pointing back to planning. If you don't have the plan and what you want to achieve, it's going to make it very difficult to get there. So you, you, you kind of have to go by whatever the title of the tutorial video is, make sure that they're getting what it says, what the, what the title of the video says it is. Yeah, absolutely. And then I also kind of think about ways to keep people interested and engaged because people learn better that way. I'll give you an example. So a lot of times when people are doing a tutorial video, and this is just rife on the Internet right now, is that let's say I'm doing a tutorial on how to or a tutorial on a new WordPress plugin or something right. like that. And typically the way most folks will do a demo of this is to start inside a WordPress and here's how you install the plugin, you know, and here are all the configuration options. And then 15 minutes later, they show you what the thing does. So one of my prime tips is to, I call it show the last thing first. And it's a way to, you know, grab your viewer's attention. And certainly in video, we always want to do eyeballs are fleeting. So I will go to great lengths to start a demo or tutorial in, in this demo. Here's what we're going to create. And I show the end result first. Wow. You can't always do that. But in a lot of cases, it's just something that people fail to do. They miss it. So by the time someone's watching that first 15, 20, 30 seconds of my video, they're going, oh, wow, that's, I kind of want to do that. I want that. And it engages them in a way that now I can go ahead and show them the underlying portions of it and, you know, the, the bits and bytes and stuff of it. And it just makes for a better learning experience. So that's kind of a, one of my top tips. I think what you said, the, the show the last thing first. I think as soon as they click on the video, they know what they're going to get. They know what they're going to either look forward to or they know what they're going to create once they've watched the video. Because I, I, like you, I see some videos and they have like a 30-second intro and then they talk and talk and talk and they never actually get to the point to, like you say, 10, 15 minutes into it. Yeah, that's just no good, at least in, in my experience. Or, I mean, think about it. It could be that much better if you just added that one little strategy into the mix and uh you know that's it's it's something that people just a lot of times aren't aware of hey why not show the last thing first and kind of get me into it (laughs) it's a good idea it's a teaser isn't it of what they're going to expect yeah it's a little dinner it's a little dancing you know (laughs) you talked earlier about the presentation style videos i know that you use camtasia and powerpoint but can you give us some of your tips on creating those presentation style videos it doesn't matter whether you're not powerpoint or keynote can you give us some of your tips on what the best recording format is and how to how to do the presentation properly well i think that let's see uh, again it starts kind of with planning i want to grab somebody's attention at the beginning i want to tell them probably what they're going to see and what to expect but i want to do it visually and a lot of times programs like especially PowerPoint get a bad rap 
because they're, you know, from the corporate world and they're boring and they're full of text and charts and, you know, death by PowerPoint kind of a thing. Which is the typical course's name. It it seriously is. And that's just because people don't think about them uh, as visually as they maybe could. So rather than have a whole bunch of bullet points, my general rule of thumb is one thought, one image, one slide. So at all times, when I can get away with that, I will have a very big and bold image. And I will have, you know, a single thought as text. And if I need to move on to another idea, I mean, sometimes I'll use some bullet points if they're relative Mm -hmm. or related to that single thought. But by and large, if you go to like slideshare.net, you can find a lot of good design inspiration. So I think the biggest tip that I would give for presentation style videos is to kind of keep it simple and focus on a good design, a good visual design, and you'll be just a whole bunch better off than that. So folks like Nancy Duarte uh, is a good person to search for on slideshare.net. Um, she did the, wrote a book called Slideology right. that is uh, – oh, did she write that book? I don't know. Slideology is a good <laughs> book. Uh, but it, again, focuses on this trend that things should be bigger, bolder, less bulleted, and you can communicate a message much more effectively in that respect. Uh, I, another thing that I teach people that are into these kinds of PowerPoint types of things is to go easy on the animations. A lot of times folks think they have to have all kinds of whirling, twirling, spinning, whizzing stuff. And quite frankly, if you think about it, that's not really what we're used to seeing when we're looking at visual content. And it's by and large, a lot of times more distracting than anything else. So I don't want to, you know, distract from what I'm saying, because that's probably the message that I'm delivering. So again, one thought, one image, one slide, keep the, you know, a reasonable minimum. I like to make things move kind of, but but frankly, you know, I'll get by with just a good old fashioned fade in when it's, when it that when that part of my message comes into play and so there's you know ways to to kind of do that would so would you say less is more and and also what the what's what's the types of animations should we use should we use use one type of animation throughout the presentation or use a couple well i think i i will typically put an eye on it you know i'll i'll try something maybe uh, by and large, I kind of stick with the, a similar animation just because, again, it won't get distracting. But as another point, I'm not afraid to use something called a pattern interrupt where I will do something, you know, boom, wildly different just to kind of yank my user's attention back. And a pattern interrupt, for those of your folks that don't know, is really just kind of doing something different. Because as people watch like a video, their their brain subconsciously starts to think, oh, okay, well, I got this, and I know what's going to happen next. And you kind of jank the rug out from under them every once in a while, uh, you know, with, with a little something different that re-engages the brain. And that's called a pattern interrupt. So... Uh, I, I will put an eye on, 
you know, I'll watch it and I'll think, okay, did did that look good? And, and really, a lot of times it just boils down to a matter of, ah, gosh, was that just a little too much or eh, do I need to t- tone it down? And, you know, by and large, though, I'd say I'll probably stick with one or two uh, transitions and or animations for any given kind of a, a a piece of work, sure. Once you've completed your video, do you, do you leave it a couple of days and then go back and recheck it to see if you want to tweak it or once you're happy there and then it gets exported out? Uh, well, I'm, I might be a little different than a lot of folks. I tend to kind of go for quality and, you know, sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes it's, it's good to have just like a folksy style or to come across as genuine and things like that. But I will typically edit pretty ruthlessly just because that's my, my nature, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, if it doesn't look good, if, if I don't like it, then I'm going to redo it. But that's, you know, just me. Uh, and it's probably a fault of mine. I'll give you an example. Edit. Uh, I, uh, one of the ways I use screencasting quite a bit is to record my webinars. I do webinars like once a week. And out of those webinars, I get a lot of great content, uh, kind of like you know doing a podcast show. Yeah. There's probably going to be some nuggets of content in, in this show and in all of your other shows and things like that. Well, a lot of times I will leverage that little tidbit by editing it and and cutting it out and that makes you know for some youtube food or or something like that but when i edit an hour long webinar i know for a fact that i spend probably a lot more time doing that than most pe- most normal people <laughs> probably would but you know it, on my timeline i it is littered with edits and i i cut out the stupid stuff you know, I, I at least try to take if I if I cough or you know something like that. I I definitely get rid of that if I start rambling or something goes wrong. It's out of there for me. But um, that's just kind of my basic philosophy on it. Once you, you once you're happy with that and, be, and and you go to export the video, can you share with us your output quality for the you know to get the best video quality? Whether we're sharing it on our own site or or YouTube, and also can you share with us? Your recommended video size, would you recommend 720 or would you recommend to record in 1080? Well, it depends. Uh, For PowerPoint videos, I'll export those as, and I record my PowerPoint videos right in PowerPoint because you can do that. Some people don't even know that. They'll like capture their screen with Camtasia, capture their slideshow with Camtasia. You don't need to do that. Uh, PowerPoint will record it for you and kick it out at 1080p. Which you know, if I can get that quality just by default, I'll I'll go with that right. because I it final video size will be, uh, you know, if if I produce my final video out at 720, uh, and like I say, a lot of times I will record my PowerPoint stuff, export it as video, pull it into Camtasia, and add things like my background music or callouts and stuff like that and produce a final video. PowerPoint's a great animation tool and a great video content creator for what it does, presentation-style content, but a video editing platform, it is not. So, you know, I will typically uh, almost always end up in my video editor 
and do some final stuff. Um, and I, for the most part, I'm kind of moving more towards 1920 by 1080. Uh, but in general, I'm probably still in the uh, 720, you know, um, yeah. 720p area. When I'm recording my screen, I set my monitor resolution to 1280 by 720 because it's just bigger. You know, the text is bigger and things like that. Uh, so it gives me a, a cleaner capture, I think. And and by and large, I'm still kind of producing out at 720 because for screencasting, you know, that resolution is is pretty good. You know, I'm not filming a, a cheetah yeah. ripping across the Serengeti after an you know a, a, an antelope or something like that. So the full motion video kinds of quality that you know you get with 1080 is not not quite as critical. If we record in like in PowerPoint or or Keynote, sometimes you see the videos on YouTube and somewhere else. They got the black lines. They got like the vertical black lines or the horizontal black lines. Can you tell us what they are and how do we go about getting rid of them? Yeah, that's a, a matter of what's called aspect ratio. And um, I'll use YouTube as an example. YouTube is in what's called a widescreen format. And that is basically what's called an aspect ratio of 16 by 9. For every 16 pixels across, there are 9 pixels down. So if you do the math on it, 1280 by 720 or 1080 by uh, you know, 1080p, the math on that works out to 16 by 9 ratio. And so that's called a widescreen format. The way you get those lines uh, is that your aspect ratio is not 16 by 9. So you're uploading a video that is a different dimensions than what YouTube is going to display it at. And to fill in the gaps, YouTube will put in these black bars on the if your black bars are on the sides that's called a those are called pillar boxes so it means that maybe you're recorded you know in standard 4 by 3 uh, aspect ratio um, which is you know used to be the standard for video well video now is moved to this widescreen format and it's called 16 by 9 aspect ratio and so, uh, in essence, my video is is narrower than what YouTube is going mm-hmm. to display it at. And the only thing you really have to do to fix that and make it appear full screen, uh, if you have black bars at the top and bottom, um, that means that, you know, again, your your size just isn't right to fit into that widescreen window. So all you have to do is make sure that you record your vid- record and produce your videos in a 16 by 9 format. So basically by default if you stick with a 1280 by 720 or 1920 by 1080, those are widescreen formats and life is going to be good. I know that you can record your presentation or you can have your presentation in Keynote and set it at 16 by 9 wide. Can you do the same yep. process in in uh PowerPoint? Yep. And PowerPoint 2013 and higher by default is a widescreen format. So, so when they're doing presentations, you would recommend 
16 by 9 and then recording it within PowerPoint and then exporting it out that way. Yeah, and it does all of that by default again. And I think Keynote is probably the same way. Yeah, it, I, yeah, it's, pr- it's pretty much the same. Yeah, if we can do a little bit of a, a deep dive into some of your hardware and your software setup long when it comes to creating your videos. Can you share those with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I Well, I'll just kind of start off with the fact that video work, video production work, is a fairly compute-intensive kind of a thing, especially when you're doing things like previewing your video. So I tend to use a uh, almost what's called a digital workstation uh, or a DAW, D-A-W, sometimes... Uh, a digital audio workstation, but it's kind of the same thing. It's it's a heavy horsepower desktop machine. I currently have a, a couple of production machines, but typically it's a tower unit. I'm running Intel i7 processors, and also I'm running heavy-duty graphics cards uh, because, again, w- at least with programs like Camtasia, Camtasia will take advantage of hardware that it finds like video processors and video memory on a card and it will just perform better. Uh, I also you know, have a pretty decent amount of, of RAM in the box um, and solid state drives are now becoming probably a prerequisite uh, or not a prerequisite, but a, a very good boost in performance. So anything on a high-performance machine, you know, would be uh, probably kind of the deal there. I mean, a lot of folks will try to do screencasting and stuff on laptops, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that, except for the fact that they're just not kind of built for it, uh, you know, the, the gra- especially the graphics processing. But a laptop with a solid-state drive in it and, you know, a decent amount of memory can certainly get the job done. Um, I guess my, my uh, people ask me all the time, what hardware should I get? And I say for optimal results, one of my recommendations would be to look at computers that gamers use. Because those guys and gals, <laughs> those little video, those little video <laughs> freaks, you know, they demand performance. And you're going to get it both in typically audio and in video performance if you look at, you know, like a gamer platform. Mm -hmm. Because hardware changes all the time, right? If we have the same conversation a week from now, I mean, I can't tell you what 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 will be out there. The hardware is is moving so fast, isn't it? It's really, really fast. Yeah, it's it's quite quite out of hand. In fact, so what when you so you you told us your your hardware? Can you tell us the the software that you use to create the videos, and also any apps that help you to create your screencast videos? Sure. Um, I am a PC guy. Uh, So, I mean, I focus on the PC platform. And for me, as far as screencasting goes, that means Camtasia from TechSmith. Uh, So that's probably, well, I think it's really kind of the only choice on the PC platform as a all-round decent video editing program and you know there are there are lots of tools and things out there to capture your screen as video, but by and large they don't have good video editing software. And and Camtasia's you know it's a good platform for that. I use PowerPoint, and then to create content, I use just a wide variety of stuff because uh, I don't really care 
where the content comes from, I can pull it into Camtasia and edit everything all together and make it, you know, sweet and beautiful. So uh, my video camera, you know, I like to use video, uh, camera video periodically, but my video camera anymore is my iPad. And I like that for a couple of reasons. One is that the um, the iPad can connect directly into Camtasia using a little app from TechSmith called Fuse. And so I can shoot really high-quality video on my iPad, and the iPad also has hundreds of apps that can let me add effects and filters and, you know, all kinds of stuff right on my iPad. So I probably will doctor up my camera video a little bit on my iPad and then, boom, shoot it straight over into Camtasia where I might have some slide content, you know, or other types mm-hmm. of things that I want to embellish with. Um, so I like a lot of the apps and stuff for, for the iPad. Can you give us some of your apps, and, think, um, the apps that you use? Uh, let's see. I, I struggle to know them by name. Let me just take a quick look here. <laughs> Jump over to my – I use uh, one called 8mm. I use iMotion. I use iMovie on uh, the the uh, iPad, and let's see, Slow Pro is kind of a cool one that does some interesting slow motion effects, and then there's uh, a couple of others that um, kind of let me do slides, or, or they automatically build presentations and stuff like that, um, paraphrase, paraphrase, and... I think those are probably the main ones that I use. I'm writing these down so I can take a look. Oh, uh, Filmic Pro. Oh, I've got that one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Magisto. Yep. I mean, I got just a bunch of them here. There's one called Tilt Shift Video. And I don't use all these all the time. But, um, I mean, there are just tons and tons and dozens and dozens of them. So it's uh, kind of a you know interesting thing. So. What about... Um, yeah, and then... Well, I was going to say, a lot of times I'll use other third-party apps and stuff to do things like animations uh, because they're kind of good for that. In particular, one is called Powtoon. I kind of like Powtoon. Uh, and let's see, what are some of my other favorites? Powtoon, Video Scribe is another good one for doing SVG drawing, you know, uh, whiteboard drawing. Yeah. Kinds of animations and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, there's there's tons and bunches of things out there. And then, as far as resources go, to get like graphics and elements and things like that, uh, one of my favorites is called Presenter Media. And oh gosh, you know, there's other resource sites and stuff like that. And then when you're talking about audio and music, of course, royalty-free sources and things like that are kind of good. Can we just touch on your audio? What audio do you uh, do you use? Uh, obviously, what microphone and things like that do you use to record your audio? And how important is audio in videos? Yeah, sure. I mean, that that's actually a really good point, and it's really super important. Audio is probably, and I almost start this off with a lot of my students, audio is the number one thing you can do to instantly improve the quality of your screencasts. Because bad audio will crush you right off the 
right off the gate. Um, people will, you know, watch a video that has marginal video quality, but it's hard to suffer through a video with bad audio quality. So one of my primary goals is what I call ace the audio. And I will typically, you know, use um, an audio editor. I kind of like Audacity. Uh, it, that's on the Mac and PC platforms. It's just a good, solid little audio editing, pro, audio recording and editing program. And I use a couple different kinds of mics. For example, for my, on my webinars and actually on this call right now, I'm using a headset mic. And so I have a headset, and this is a, a Logitech G330. Again, it's kind of designed for gamers, and I find that the quality on it is, is really pretty good. When I'm doing a more formal kind of a thing or a more professional level type of a deal, I like to use a studio quality mic. And I own, actually, I've had a home recording studio since, gosh, the year 2000, I guess. So I, I have kind of a, a big mic cabinet is, is what they call it. Uh, but I tend to kind of fall to a couple of different ones, uh, Audio-Technica 20, uh, 2020, and also I just picked up, um, gosh, I don't know, maybe four or five months ago, a Rode Podcaster rig, and uh, this one particularly has uh, the scissor arm that goes with it and shock mount, so it's, you know, very radio station looking and uh, things like that. Um, so I like to use a good mic that's going to full sound and stuff. Yeah, we, we, I have a Rode as well. I'm speaking into a Rode Procaster. Right. Uh, so. Yeah, the Procaster, that's even a, a nice – I think that's a little richer sounding. Um, that's not a USB, right? No, it's, it's a XLR that goes into a mixer. But the only reason yeah. that I use in this, obviously, is because of my, my podcast as well. But I do use it for my screencast videos as well. Yeah, and using a, an XLR – or a studio, uh, something other than a USB, gives you a couple of nice advantages. Going into that mixer, or you can even get these things called audio interfaces, which you can kind of think of as a sound card on steroids, <laughs> is that you get the mic preamp uh, electronics in the mix there. Because a lot of people make the mistake, I think, of plugging a microphone into their sound card on the computer. And the thing just doesn't have the you know, the electronics for that. And the sound is typically pretty crappy, but for 60 bucks, you can buy a, you know, a, a little audio interface that plugs in a, a studio quality mic and you get all that extra richness. So that's, that's, a, that's a good pro way to go for sure. Well, there's some uh, good tips on the audio there, Lon. Thanks for that. You bet. You, you talked earlier about the types of videos that you use. On our listeners, that we have all kinds of entrepreneurs that are in different kinds of niches, and sometimes I get emails wondering, is screencasting right for their business and what types of videos and screencast videos can, you know, can they create? Can you, can, you, can you share with us the types of videos that you can create with screencast? With uh, screencasting? Sure, and I guess that would kind of go to the definition of screencasting you know, that which is on your computer screen, any mouse movement, keyboard stroke, you know, anything you can see on your computer screen can be recorded and saved as video. So in any case where content might be useful that comes from that source, that which you can see on your computer screen, 
then certainly being able to capture it as video is a way to uh, you know, get that video content. So almost any niche you can think of, even if I'm like have a cooking show, for example, there may be some segments or elements of that that I might want to engage someone in, with a screencast. For example, maybe I'm talking about a, a resource on the Internet that I like and I want my you know, viewers to go check out. Well, I could record that, you know, walk them through a little tour or whatever, and that could be part of the content that goes with the camera video of me cooking up a storm type of thing, or to interject, you know, some slide content, again, to break things up. My basic take is a lot of people think, well, all I got to do is fire up a video camera and start talking. Well, that's just boring. (laughs) You know, I don't care what your content is. Me watching your mouth move for, you know, three, five minutes is just not hardly going to cut it for most people anymore. And that's one of the, again, it's not what we're used to seeing. When we watch a television show or anything like that, just go ahead and watch that and see how often something changes, right? In the industry, they call it jolts per minute. How many times will a scene change or a shot change? And, and, that, and it's that way very much on purpose. It is to keep people engaged visually and mentally. So using screencasts or presentation-style captures is, of course, a way to be able to break that kind of content up. And it's just kind of a handy-dandy skill to have at, at you know, whatever point it makes sense. You know, if I need to show something or demo, demonstrate something. So, you know, I, I'd say that maybe it's not applicable for every single, you know, market out there in the world. But certainly, I think if, if you know about it and can think of, well, how can I creatively use a screencast piece of content in whatever it is that I'm doing, then that just kind of broadens your toolbox. I, I completely agree, uh- Alon, because I think as long as you've got some good quality in- engagement, it get you know it, it gets to the point, and I think you're only limited to your creativity, you know, because you can make any video you, that, that you want as long as it's engaging. You can do it in any format, in any style that you you choose to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so just another way to get content, and you know, at the end of the day, content is king essentially, and you know, the more things that we can do that provide quality content, then that's kind of where we probably want to be to differentiate ourselves for sure. Elon, a couple more questions, if it's okay with you, before we wrap up. Sure. What advice would you give to our listeners that are just starting out creating videos? They've just got the software. They're not really sure what about the screencasts and screencasting videos. Can you give us some of your advice on where to start? Sure. Well, first of all, first thing I would say is that screen capture software is really computer-based, isn't it? I mean, there's no complicated lighting. There's nothing, you know, uh, camera-wise that you need to know or set up or do. In fact, with Camtasia, you fire up a little piece of software called the Camtasia Recorder, and when you launch that, there's this big red button it says record on it. And if you can push that button, then you are rolling video. So what I would suggest is that 
it also involves that software element. And sometimes people get freaked out by software, you know, all the buttons and doodads and stuff. And I would just kind of let folks know that don't get overwhelmed by software. Okay, start start simple and start small and just learn the tool. You know, learn how to swing the hammer by pounding a few nails first. And a lot of th- times people will try to make their first efforts in that creating a full-blown production video. And a lot of times I'll say, start with something small, ridiculous, and totally useless, you know, in the grand scheme of things, just to learn your chops, what buttons to push, or something like that. Like I said, learn to swing a hammer by pounding a few nails before you try to build a house. Because people will get frustrated. They say, okay, I got the screen capture software, I'm going to make me a video. I'm going to make me a sales video. You know, don't do that. (laughs) You're just going to set yourself up for frustration and disappointment. Maybe just go to your website and start to capture something and record yourself narrating a little guided tour of your website. Something that, you know, it has no real purpose or meaning, but you're going to learn a lot in the process uh, of doing such a thing and, you know, it, it is not rocket science by any stretch of the imagination, but don't try to do too much at one time. It's, you know, it's a tool. You learn how to use it in bits and pieces and chunks, and then by the time you finish on those building blocks, then you got yourself a skill and a tool that will serve you pretty well for years to come. So that would be Probably my my biggest uh, getting started tip. And, to, and make sure your audio is awesome. <laughs> yes, audio is really important. That's the that's the top. That is that's number one. That is the audio. It is with a bullet. And to wrap up, can you share one of your top tips and a resource for us when we're using screencasting? Let's see a top tip for screencasting. Uh, I gave you a couple. Show the last thing first. Ace the audio. Um, let's see. What's one of your top resources that you use in your screencast videos? Well, I like I said, I use several. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a good resource. If you go to my YouTube channel, one of the things I do all the time is to talk about those resources. So, and I'm kind of famous, I think, for, you know, showing people how to use them. Not just, okay, well, you could go here, go check this resource out. But I actually do you know, tutorials on how to use the stuff. So uh, I think that would probably be one of my best resources to go to because all the resources that I use and how to use them are there. So maybe that would be a good uh, a good place. Cool. If you can shoot us over the link for your YouTube channel, I'll put it in the show notes and I'll let everybody know to go and uh, check out your YouTube channel. Yeah, absolutely. And like I say, there are tons of tons of resources there. I mentioned uh, one that's kind of my favorite for creating visual media. There's a, a few more motion stock graphics. Uh, our motion graphic stock is a buddy of mine, Jesse Radford. He does a great job of creating uh, good content that we can use in screencasts. Uh, Peter Gilsberg at uh, callouts.com. Those would be, you know, just, again, some some useful kinds of resources right off the top of my head. Thanks so much for that tip, Lon. Thanks for the resources, and thanks for sharing your story and experience with the 
SAP audience today. My pleasure. It's been fun. Like I say, I'll talk about screencasting all day long. Well, you can keep coming on the podcast because that's what we like to talk about here as well. Excellent. Good to hear. And before you shoot off, can you let us know where we can get more from you and any any websites you want to share with people? Sure. I have a couple. One is learncamtasia.com. And I also have a, a resource site for kind of all things screencasting, screencaststudios.com. And I'm getting more and more into the PowerPoint kinds of presentation style videos, pptvideo.com. Okay, that's PPT. What's say that again, please? PPTvideo. PPTvideo.com. Lon, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for sharing your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Not a problem, Lon. Anytime. Bye for now. Thanks a lot. Well, that was Lon Naylor there from LearnCamtasia.com, the 35-year Microsoft uh, legend. I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did. Just some quick things that he talked about. Show the last thing first. So most of is when he creates his screencast videos, he shows what people are going to learn first, and then he goes into the tutorial to show, to show it. He goes on to say, one thought, one image, one slide when it comes to creating your presentations in either PowerPoint or Keynote. So that's one thought, one image, one slide. And he also shared some of his apps and resources that he used, Motion Graphics, Powtoon, Apps, InMotion, Paraphrase. Uh, don't worry about writing all these down because these will be available in the show notes, screencastmagazine.com forward slash 12. I'd like to thank Lon Naylor for coming on and spreading his apps resources when it comes to Camtasia and screencasting. So that's me signing off. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of the day and I will see you next week. <laughs>